Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Awesome. We're going to continue a series, uh, the series we're in, Epistle. If you've got your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Thessalonians. Been loving hearing all the feedback. People have been enjoying the series. I hope you are seeing this as a message from God for you. Like the Blues Brothers, you know the movie? We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. It says, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, listen to it, that He has chosen you. That's a word for someone today. That we know that God has chosen you to be His, to be His child, to work for Him. To, to be on his side. God loves you and he has chosen you, the Apostle Paul says. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we're grateful to study the letters. Father, to understand what you're saying and to come around the teaching, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord. Father, we thank you for worship, which we just got to experience, time in your presence, which is continuing right now. But Lord, we're so grateful, Father, that we can come in, we can encounter you, that we can be in your presence, that we can sing to you, Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So Father, it's our prayer today that you would teach us, that you would um, be a father to your children right now, Lord. We come before you like children, Lord, looking to you, arms raised, Hearts are open, willing, Lord, to be taught and to learn from you. So, Father, we thank you for that today. And, God, we ask that you would bless the next generation. Colonial kids, God, would you bless them, Lord, just as you're blessing us. Father, we don't want them to miss out. And so, God, we ask that you would bless colonial kids in Jesus' name. And we all said, the title of the message today is The Fear of Missing Out. The fear of missing out. This is probably one of Paul's first letters. This is part of his second missionary journey. But this is probably one of his early letters. Last week in um, the message about Corinth, I talked a little bit about Paul's pedigree. The Apostle Paul, his journey up until his encounter with Jesus, how he was going on his, his own way, but then he became the preeminent apostle, apostle of the way. And um, I talked a little bit about his background and a way, the way that God would use every single part of who he was to reach people for the Lord. But today I wanted to just mention briefly for a moment the endurance of Paul. The determination of Paul is absolutely amazing. And um, Paul traveled so much, it's actually amazing. I've had the, 
the, the, the privilege, I guess, growing up in Australia. When you grow up in Australia and you have a desire to travel, um, you get to travel a long way because Australia is a long way away from anything. And so growing up in Australia, I was very fortunate. Um, my parents, you know, they love to travel as well. And so I got to go on lots of uh, trips with, with them. I got to go to all parts of Asia. I got to go, um, you know, especially in that part of the world, I got to go to some of the islands that, that are in the um, South Pacific and I got to, to travel a lot. And then being married to Jill, we've also, uh, in our marriage, we've had the, 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 the privilege of being able to travel and go lots of different places. But I'll tell you right now that we don't even come close to the Apostle Paul. And how much this guy, the preeminent apostle of the New Testament, traveled. He had an incredible determination to get the gospel out. And that's something you need to understand as we study and we read his letters to the churches. You've got to understand not, not only the determination to get the gospel out, but the pace at which he, he wanted to get it out. So I talked about letters a couple of weeks ago and how God knew at the right time, this was the time to use that form of communication, but it was also exactly the right time for travel to take place. The first century was the right time. God knows exactly what he's doing and he can get the message to you at the perfect time. Can I get an amen? God knows what he's doing with your life and he knows what he's doing with the church. The Romans at the time did more to facilitate travel than any other empire had done. They built major roads, cleared the seas of pirates, instituted one currency. There was no easier time to travel than in Paul's day. Listen to this. It's estimated that the Apostle Paul traveled the equivalent of nearly halfway around the world. Over 10,000 miles, both by land and of sea. There was a peace um, accord that was in place by the Roman Empire at the time. It was called the Pax Romana. Um, Emperor Augustus had put that in place, but that enabled Roman citizens to travel safely in the first century. There was a Stoic philosopher that said this, there are neither wars nor battles, nor great robberies nor piracies, but we may travel at all hours and sail from east to west. The Roman roads were so well put together that it made travel so accessible and easy because there were no wars or disorder with the Roman army that they set up a system that meant that communication could travel and go a large distance and safely. And thus Paul traveled in the best and the safest period at that time. God knows what he's doing. And he crafted these letters through the power of the Holy Spirit and used the Apostle Paul with all of his pedigree and all of his understanding and, and the revelation that he had on Damascus Road and how he met with Jesus himself and got his apostleship from Jesus himself, just like the 12. And then he would use this, God would use this system of roads. Some of these roads were so nice. It was like all the Roman roads were paved. They were put together perfectly. You ever heard that saying, all roads lead to Rome? Well, the, 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 the cities that Paul reached because he was a strategic missionary and God would use him, he used those roads to establish these churches. And we see this in the book of Acts and elsewhere in our Bibles. Also a cool fun fact about the Apostle Paul and his travel, uh, it's estimated that he traveled um, around 5,000 miles on foot and another 5,000 miles on the sea. Um, at a rate of around 20 miles a day. 
he would travel. I mean, that's some quick walking right there. I mean, for me to travel 20, 20 miles walking, I don't know if I could even do it. I'd probably just give up. But the Apostle Paul spent about 250 days or eight months walking. So today we get to Thessalonica. You can put up the map for me real quick so we can take a look. We're in Corinth. Corinth was the strip of land, as we remember down here. And then it was about 400 miles um, up there to Thessalonica. And this is where the, the journey would take the Apostle Paul. He founded the church in Thessalonica. Again, like Corinth, these were his people. These were people he did life with. He, he'd seen people get saved. He'd seen people get baptized. He'd seen the power of the Holy Spirit move. And so this was a dear church to him in many ways. It was, it was Greek like Corinth. There was Greek influence. But think of Thessalonica as a little more established, a little more put together. Um, it, was a, it was a leading city in a leading district. It was kind of one of the main um, places. But this was the region of Macedonia. Okay, so when we read in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians about Macedonia, the generosity of the Macedonian churches, this is Thessalonica. This is where he, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about it. But why did the Apostle Paul plant a church there? So uh, a study tip, if you're looking at the letters, you need to ask yourself a question. Who were these people? Why did Paul go there? What was the purpose of him writing? What's so good about Thessalonica? Why does it matter well, the reason he went there and planted a church there was because he had a vision. It's Acts chapter 16. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. That'd be a pretty weird dream. Just a man of Macedonia just standing there in my dream. Urging him. Other translations say pleading with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. And there we see again the determination, the resilience of the Apostle Paul, the fact that he had a revelation of who Jesus was and the power of the gospel. He understood grace and he was just like, man, this message has got to get out. And my prayer for our church is we would have this kind of urgency when it comes to the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in St. Augustine, this county, this region, that we would realise, man, we've got to do this and immediately we need to set out and preach the gospel to our neighbourhood. I was just talking to someone yesterday about these new neighbourhoods going up here in 207 and just the, 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 the rate at which people are moving to our area. And I don't want to grow complacent. I want to have a, a, the Apostle Paul-like attitude to the church being the church that carries the message of Christ. Is there anyone with me this morning? So he's had this vision. The, the Holy Spirit had directed him to go. And then we see in Acts 17 that Paul goes to Thessalonica, establishes a church there. And here are some of the key themes, Okay. So Paul's then gone away from Thessalonica as he's planted the church. Um, the Apostle Paul had a pretty cool way of discipling people. Like he would come in, he would establish, he would do the hard yards, he would work with the people and whatnot, but he would never leave the church on their own. He would leave people there to look after the people that had become the church. So uh, Timothy and Silas would stay and they would, they would be part of the church and they would write to Paul. Paul was probably in Corinth or Athens when he would get the letters from T uh, Timothy 
and then he would get reports and then he would write back to them and say, these are the answers. These are, these are, this is what you need to know. So some of the key themes are in the, the, the letters to the Thessalonians, first and second, is the second coming of Christ. This is where we get one of the, 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 the key teachings outside of the Gospels about what Jesus is going to do soon. This is where we get it, from this letter. Another theme is the wrath of God that there is the wrath of God, that it does exist. This is why we need Jesus, because Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. Doesn't mean that there's no wrath of God, just means that we have a deliverer in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? That's praiseworthy on a Sunday morning in church, that Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. Another theme is there's comfort and peace for all believers. Uh, There's There's another theme is holiness and sanctification, that that is the will of God for your life and for my life. Another one is this, another theme is practical living and working is another theme. The letter was written around 50 AD or thereabouts. Some of the key words you see scattered through the letter. Um, I like to to just look at these because it just gives you a flavor for, for what's in there. But the word faith is in there 12 times. In two letters, and these are short letters, by the way, very short. Um, Joy is mentioned seven times. Love is mentioned six times. Comfort is mentioned six times. The word revealed is mentioned four times. So what are some of the key verses? Some of these you'll recognize. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The people of the church were wondering, what are we supposed to do? What's God's will for our lives? Was likely one of the questions that they'd written to Paul. And he says, this is the will of God. This is the will that you pray and you don't stop that you rejoice and you don't stop. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, a similar theme to Corinth, that you would, you would divert your life away from these things that are clearly evil. And the Apostle Paul puts a dividing line and says, this is what that is and this is where you need to be. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be with you you all. So the Apostle Paul founded the church. We know where it is. We know the nature of the city and what were some of the takeaways. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to put into the church in Thessalonica. And I want to propose today, he's still trying to put that into the church today, into you and me. The first takeaway is this, live well. This is one of the themes of the letters. Live well and give it everything you got. Live your life. Give it everything you got. Whatever God has called you to do, do it well. There was persecution at the time. There was people that were being persecuted. People were being um, discouraged by this. And what it had led to is idleness in the church. People were just had stopped starting businesses. People had stopped going to work. People had stopped trading. They, 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 they literally had just gone into their shelves. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, no, 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 no. 
Be useful. Busy yourself in life. Live well because there is hope-filled anticipation for you as you do that, but there are people watching you. And what you do matters, and you're an example that people imitate. This is 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk. When the Bible says walk or walking, that means doing life. He says, as you learn how to do life alongside of us and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So, There was idleness and people weren't living their lives, making the most of the opportunities that were there. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, get your, roll up sleeves, do something with your life. It's important that you work. It's important that you remember the way that I worked alongside you. The Apostle Paul didn't come into Thessalonica and just be like, all right, here I am. I'm an evangelist. Serve me. It was the opposite. He said, let's go to work. Let's do this. Let's go, let's go, let's go make tents. Let's get into trade. Let's get into the, 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 the day-to-day society of Thessalonica and let's show the people here what it looks like to be a Christian. And I want to encourage you today that that's how you truly show someone in your life what it means to be a Christian. It's by getting yourself down on the level of everyone else and letting the gifts and talents and what God has put in your heart to rise to the surface through what you do. The Apostle Paul says, live well. Give it everything you got. He says, be earthy. Be in the mix of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. You know, we're not there yet with our kids, but I want my kids to work. I want them to have jobs. I remember I was 13 years of age. My dad said, see you later. And I went and worked as a dish pig in a pizzeria. And I'll never forget that kitchen. It smelt. The guy who ran it was this crazy New Zealander who just yelled at everyone, including me. But there was something about just getting a little bit into the work and into the day-to-day and people were coming and going and there was busyness going on and that's the opportunity in life is to, to live our lives. It doesn't matter necessarily what we're doing as long as we're doing what we're called to do. Paul is saying non-participation in society is not an option. Idleness is not an option. Doing nothing is never an option for a believer. There is much work to do for all of us. Jesus said in Luke 9, he says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I love the way the message says it. It says, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put off God's kingdom till tomorrow. Seize the day. You need to do something with your hands. You need to do something with your life, Paul says. Let me ask you a question. What's your life's work? What has God called you to do in this life? Perhaps some of the assignments have changed. And change from season to season. I would say that for Jill and I, that that what we're called to do has not changed. But the assignments have been different. 
And from season to season, it doesn't matter. There might be some changes. This is why we live with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always guiding us into all truth and taking us where we need to be. But the assignment may change, but the calling never does. Your calling is to serve God no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. That's what you're supposed to do. And there are many young people that are growing up today, and this is why church is so important, that need to hear that God has a purpose for their life. That there is actually something that God has for them and they they can put their hands to the plow and build the kingdom of God. What is it that God has called you to do? Because once you figure it out, it will help you live out your days with meaning. But Paul says, whatever you do, do it well. Walk properly before outsiders. Be dependent on no one because there are people watching you. This is a key message to the Thessalonians because it's the same for us today. People are watching Christians today. That's scary, especially with the internet. But there are people watching the way we behave. There are people watching the way we speak. There are people watching the way we extend grace or don't. We need to be people that understand that it's important how we live. Paul takes it so far, he goes, he goes pretty far in 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 3 and verse 10, for he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's pretty strong. Paul just went Rambo on the church. <laughs> you don't go to work, you're going to eat. No. So what you do, it matters. Live well. Give it everything you got. Number two, Paul says to the church this. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Jesus is coming back for all of us and you have not missed it. You have not missed the coming of Jesus. You know, this is important to understand that at the time it was like there was not a lot of hope and so hope being put in was so important and some of the church were starting to live their lives without hope. They thought they'd missed it. They thought that it was just there was just there was futile. There was no point because because we'd missed the day of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says, "No, you haven't missed it. Don't worry." He says, "It's not going to be like last time. Jesus is not going to come like he did. He's going to come differently this time." And he also says, "He says this is what's happened to people that have passed on." I remember just being a new Christian and, and finding this so encouraging. Because this is where we understand some of the, 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 the key teachings about what's happened to people that have gone on before us, but Jesus still hasn't come back yet. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. This is people who have passed away in Christ. It says, You may not grieve as others who have no hope. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And this is where the Apostle Paul gives the church the order of things in the coming age. Who's grateful today that Jesus is coming again? Listen to this, verse 16. For the Lord himself, I love those words right there. The Apostle Paul says, no, no, I got a word from the Lord about this. This is the Apostle Paul saying that. 
he got a word from the Lord about this. And he says, no, 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 it's not going to be like last time. It says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of the archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What Paul does here is he uses a Greek word called parousia. You might want to write that down. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. Parousia. It's a Greek word that means arrival or presence. And it's a unique word. But it gives this picture of people in at that time going out to meet a new king. So if a city was conquered and the king would come in and the new king would take over, the people there would go out, would go and, and go and, and go out to a parousia to the arrival of the king. And this is what the Apostle Paul uses as a literature. He says, literally, this is what's going to happen: is we are going to go out and we are going to meet our king. And at the right time, it's going to happen. And we don't need to worry about the timing. Remember what Jesus said about that? He says, but even concerning, this is Matthew 24 and verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. That's why you've got to be so careful listening to people that say they know the day and the hour and when the clock turns over the year 2000, this is going to happen. We've got to be very careful about people like that. You know who I trust? I trust God. I put my faith in His numeric ability, not man's. We see this in other parts of our Bible. Let me show you a few verses. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in verse, chapter 5 and verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. I love that. Establish your hearts. Get rooted into the things of God. Get, get sturdy when it comes to what God is doing. He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Philippians 1 verse 6, one of my life verses, it says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that whenever we're thinking about the coming of Jesus, it's just very, very good study hint is always allow things that we read and say the letters be confirmed by the words of Jesus. See, Jesus gives us perfect clarity. That's why it's Matthew 24 is important because Jesus himself has said, no one knows except the Father. So until that time, don't worry. God's got it, the Apostle Paul says. We don't know when, but we can live ready. We don't know when, but we can live ready. What happened in Thessalonica is that people who thought they'd missed it and there was persecution happening, which they thought was meaning that they'd missed it. And so what happened was they were just throwing up their hands and saying, you know what, what do we do? Let's just stay home. Let's not work. Let's, let's, not, let's not go out there and talk to people about Jesus. Let's not try to build a church. Let's just, let's just because they lost all hope. 
We don't know when, but we can live ready. So he says, don't worry, Jesus is coming back. He says, live well, it matters what you do with your life. And finally, speaking about the end times and what's coming, he says this, the coming of Jesus then should bring peace now. Because nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the time. One of my favorite things I've ever heard Nathan Finocchio say is this. He says, you know, we should, we should live like Jesus is coming back today. But we should also plan like he's not coming back in our lifetime. So what does that mean? It means we build the church. It means we strategize and we set up the generations. It means we think about the future. And, you know, when we started this church, we didn't start this church for 20 years and thinking in this, inside this 20 years, Jesus is going to come back. We're banking on that. I've often said we're building this church for 200 years. We want this to be around a lot longer than we will be. So we've got a plan that he's not coming back in our lifetime, but we can live our lives that he's coming back today. Paul says, don't feel abandoned because you're not. Be assured. Encourage each other with these words. This is why church is so important. We're living in a world and a time where people are dying for encouragement. They're dying to hear a hope-filled message. They're dying to be built up. This is why we've got to encourage people to come into church and just say, just come. You're going to be built up, not beat down. Just come. You're going to meet with people who love you. Just come. You're going to get encouraged. Someone is going to put courage into you and hopefully it'll be God as well. He's coming then. That He's going to come should bring you peace now. This is the great tension of our faith, church. This is the great tension. It's just like, God, I believe you're going to take care of it all, that I'm going to see the people that have gone on before me. There's going to be this great reunion called heaven and eternity, but all of that can give me peace right now, despite the storm, despite the struggle, despite the thing that I'm going through. I can have peace. How is that possible? How is that possible? Because it's not earthly peace. It's not a man's, it's not a strategy that comes from a person. This comes from heaven for you and for me. Here's what we know from 2,000 years of church history. The church will always experience persecution until Jesus comes. Because there's a war going on. It's a spiritual war. But we know because we see it in our Bibles that God's justice will prevail, that, 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 that it's all going to end. We're on the winning side. And that's going to give us comfort and peace right now. What had happened in Thessalonica is people lost hope. When someone loses hope, they feel like they lose their life. I mean, they stop going to work. What do you, why do you not go to work? It's because you've got no hope. But Paul says where there's Life, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Jesus is coming back. You haven't missed it. Don't fear missing out. He's got you covered. Waiting on Jesus should always bring us peace. Waiting on Jesus should always give us the kind of peace that we don't understand. Because you might be in the middle of the biggest storm right now, but if you have Jesus, you can have perfect peace because he's the Prince of Peace. We know how this story ends. It's in Revelation. See, Thessalonians is known as apocalyptic literature, end times literature. It's, 
We, we see so much of it there. It's confirmed in the Gospels, but also in Revelation. I want to read Revelation 21 to you. This is Jesus speaking. And He says this, because this is what they were wondering about. This is what they wanted to know. They're like, what's going to happen? This is a big old mess, but what's going to happen? It says this, I saw a heaven and earth newly created. Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. I saw holy Jerusalem, newly created, descending resplendent out of heaven, as ready for God as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighbourhood, making His home with men and women. There is people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears are gone. Crying's gone. Pain is gone. All the first order of things are gone. The enthroned continue. Look, I'm making everything new. Write it all down. Each word dependable and accurate. That's what we've got to look forward to. And that's what the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians as well. Would you stand with me? I feel like the Lord today is reminding us of His peace. I don't know if you notice, it's sort of just from start to finish. I feel like that's been the theme. You might be in the middle of a a war on anxiety. God wants to give you peace. You might be in the middle of a heartbreaking situation, grief. Maybe you've lost someone recently that's that's troubling to you. Because you start asking questions, you're like, God, why, 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 why has this happened? Why has that happened? The truth is that on this side of the of eternity, we just may never know why. But we can know who. Who gives us peace? And so I just want to pray for people that maybe just need peace in their lives. Maybe it's uncertainty that's ahead. You're looking forward to something that's going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to work out. God wants to give you peace. He wants to install it as a permanent fixture in your life. He wants to put it in your heart in a way that doesn't matter what you go through, you can rest in the peace of God because that's what He wants to give you, because you can have Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, I just, I just want you to lift your hand. I want to pray for you. While no one's looking around, you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety. Yep, that's me. Depression is something I'm struggling with right now. Yep, that's me. Uh, there's uncertainty. There's doubt in my mind. Maybe you're in here today and it's grief and you've lost someone. It's just... It's hard because you don't know. I believe today God's going to give you peace. Holy Spirit, you see the hands. Spirit of God, would you move in this place? Spirit of God, would you come and would you infiltrate hearts right now with the peace of God? Father, we thank you that we don't have to live not knowing how it's all going to work out, but we know that you're the sovereign God, that you're the one true God who takes care of His people like a father to children, Lord. And so God, we thank you right now for peace, that transcends, that surpasses all understanding peace that doesn't make sense. But yet you give it to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you 
and empowered you in all that God's got for you, why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.